Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Bethesda. Everybody good? Did you enjoy worship this morning? Wasn't that awesome? Welcome once again to Bethesda Church. Honored that you are here. Uh, We kicked off a series a few weeks back. This will be week number three on the end times. How many of you have enjoyed this series so far? You enjoyed it? I got a feeling we're going to see some faces come back when this series is over, right? Uh, no, it's, it's so good to have you here, and I've enjoyed teaching and preaching um, these messages and all that God has to say surrounding the end times. I, I got to kind of skip past my original intro because I realize I've got more message than I have time. Uh, but I have enjoyed this series, and we need to know right out the gate that surrounding the end times, Jesus told us that when we see all these, time, all these signs happening in the world to look up, that our redemption is drawing near, that the day of Jesus' return should not catch us unaware or overtake us unexpectedly. The Apostle Paul told us to encourage one another when we talk about the return of Jesus. So this is not a scare tactic. I grew up in churches where they tried to scare you. Jesus is coming. You're going to hell. Get right. Right? Now, you know, there's an element of truth in that, but, but as believers, how I many of this should not bring fear? This should bring great anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about Israel uh, so far in this series. We talked last week about the great falling away. Make sure you go back and re-listen to those, um, and, and if you missed them, please go back and listen to those because it'll help uh, make sense out of today's message. But I want to call this message today, I want to call it, What Time Is It? Go ahead and ask your neighbor that. What time is it? Now, somebody's going to be a smarty pants and say, Pastor, it's 1024. That's not the time I'm talking about, but um, time is so important, and messages like this will sometimes cause you and I to slow down and consider time as the greatest commodity that we've been given. We've been allotted a certain amount of time, and Uh, As it relates to time, I I can remember getting saved, and and y'all find this funny. I got saved, and some of my buddies got saved as well, and we were out one day playing golf, and we were on, I remember what tee box we were on. This is crazy, because it's been like 20 plus years ago. Um, We were on the ninth tee box in um, Madison, West Virginia, and uh, we're having a conversation about Jesus, and I think we had revival service that night. And we're just talking about the coming of the Lord and and all the stuff surrounding the end times. And my buddy looked at me and said, you ought to quit college. And I said, what? He said, yeah, you ought to quit college because Jesus is coming back. I mean, why go to school? Why do anything? We got to tell people Jesus is coming back. Now, first off, I just want to say I am so glad I did not receive his advice or his counsel. Okay, I'm so glad that I did not receive that because I, I wouldn't have finished school, wouldn't have got a degree, probably wouldn't have got married, had kids, pastor, I wouldn't have done any of that. I would have been a hermit waiting on Jesus to come back. 
And so I want to give you something that I think will help you uh, moving forward. Because a lot of people are like, what do I do with my life? Jesus is coming back. Should I just quit everything and hide somewhere? No. Here's what we need to do as followers of Jesus. We need to plan as though Jesus is not returning for 100 years, but live as though Jesus is returning today. What, what do you mean by that, Pat? I'm saying live your life. Go to school, get married, have kids, start, start a business. Live your life, plan your life, but be ready for the return of Jesus. How many, just because Jesus is coming back doesn't mean that we all stop living. All right? So we live our lives, we plan our lives, but we are looking for the return of Jesus. Now, the times that we are in are very unusual, because I believe we are at the end times. We, we mark 1948 as Israel, uh, the rebirth of Israel as a nation was the beginning of the end. Uh, the scripture talks about that generation would see the coming of the Lord. And uh, we have to ask ourselves, why are we alive? Why are we here with the return of Christ so close? I mean, why not previous generations? Why is it that you and I are alive at this time? And here's what I would, would say to that. I want to answer the question. At the very beginning of creation, God allotted a certain amount of time for human history, and we are there. All right, we're going to get into this. You need to know that the coming of the Lord is not about what you and I have done or not done. It's not about, you know, we're going to cause God to delay I, I, I hear some people say, oh, the Lord, I just, you know, if, if he tarries, well, he's not waiting. He's not waiting on anything. God knows exactly when he's coming back. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, only my Father knows. So the creator of the universe already knows the day he's coming back. It's marked. There has been a set amount of time that we have been given to live, and the end is coming. So it's not God is waiting on us to do this or to do that. And I, I heard that my whole life. Like, he's tearing. And we're going to read the scripture. God's not slow or slack concerning his promise. Like, there, there's nothing he's waiting on. And so it's not arbitrary. It's not because of what we've done. We, we, we are alive at this time, and it's a special time to be alive. And we're going to look at what Peter said about the end time. Second Peter chapter 3 Starting in verse number one, it said, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking around or walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter's referencing God judged the world, and he did that in Noah's day with the flood. We, we know that. But the earth is now being preserved to be judged again at the end, and it's not with water this time. It's with fire. 
okay? That's what Peter is letting them know. And here's the important part, and you need to underline this in your Bible. You need to write it down. This is so significant right here. He said, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's frame what Peter is saying. He is reminding his readers, and in this case, he's reminding us that we are to remember the words of the Old Testament prophets. He then goes into an end-time prophecy concerning the return of Jesus, but he's also tying it to the fact that in that day and in that hour, there would be scoffers who would come who would basically scoff or mock this teaching about the return of Jesus. Um, they, they would willfully reject the authority of God's word. And so he's talking about, not, he's not talking about godly people. He's talking about ungodly people who would scoff and hear a teaching like we've been doing these three weeks and say, you guys are crazy. I can't believe you, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, my grandfather said Jesus is coming. He's not coming. Everything's the same. Nothing has changed. And so Peter is talking about in the last days, these folks would rise up and say, we're all crazy because we believe that Jesus is returning. And then he says they willfully reject the authority of God's word. In other words, the people who say Jesus is not coming back, they, they have made an intentional decision to reject the truth of God's word. There is no way you can read the scriptures and come to the conclusion that Jesus isn't returning. How many believe that Jesus is coming back for his bride? It is clear. Like, there is no way to reject that. He said, but they will come and they will reject it. And he, he tied it. He said, just like in Noah's day, they were destroyed with the flood. He said, these folks are not going to receive the warnings of their coming judgment because the earth is being preserved to be judged again. This time, not by water, but by fire. And then he throws a curveball because it's, it, it's not really a curve to the people he originally wrote this text to, this letter to. It's a curve to us. They understood what he was talking about when he made this statement. The Jews understood it. The early church understood it. But a lot of times we read over this verse in two different places in scripture. It's given to us and we read right past it, but it's very significant. He said, he said this, remember this one thing, that a day with God is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Now regarding time, I want you to catch this. God sees a day as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Peter is actually quoting something that the psalmist quoted to us in Psalm chapter 90 verse 4. It says this, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. So the related to the end times, because how many know in this passage, the context is the end times. That's what Peter is talking about. And in relationship to the end times, Peter is saying, God is not slow God is not slack. God is not just waiting to come back. Uh, he has a plan. I want to say it like this. God has a master clock, 
a master calendar. He knows when he's going to send his son to come back after us. He's not slow concerning that promise. And in the midst of that, he's telling us that a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. All right? Everybody tracking so far? Because we're going somewhere with this. Now, we have to ask, what is God's calendar? What, it, what, it, what, what are you talking about, Pastor, when you talk about God's calendar? Look at Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. It's what we were singing about this morning. Declaring, this is so, underline this in your Bible, highlight it in your phone. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now understand, Jewish rabbis believe and teach that God revealed the end in the beginning. That you don't just have to go to the book of Revelation or read the prophecies about the end times, but God actually declared the end in the beginning. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. God declares the end of a, th of a thing from the beginning. But another very important thing that I want you to understand this morning is that God does nothing until he reveals it first. In other words, God does not operate in secret. The word occult, anybody heard the word occult? Do you know what that word means? It means secret. So God is not uh, operating in, in secrets or keeping anything from us. Bible prophecy has been given to us so that we could know the times and the seasons and when we see all the signs happening, to look up that our redemption is drawing nigh. God does not want us in the dark. Another scripture that bears this out is Amos chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So God is not operating in secret. He does nothing unless he first reveals it. And God, and, and Jewish rabbis believe, Jewish scholars believe this, the early church believed this, God revealed the end in the beginning. Okay, everybody's still with me. I'm going real slow on purpose. I want you to grab this. Um, who wrote the book of Genesis? If God declares the end from the beginning, we have to look at Genesis. All right, Moses was a prophet. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. He wrote the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote that. God gave that to Moses, not just so he could tell us how it all began, but Jewish rabbis and scholars also believe that God reveals, according to Isaiah the prophet, God reveals the end from the beginning. That even in the beginning, God was showing us how this thing, let's say it another way, history has a way of repeating itself. Okay? That, that's a long way. I, I, I took the long route, but you guys know what I'm talking about there. So before we talk about this, let's set it up with what the early church believed, what Jewish rabbis believe, is that God is working on a 7,000-year calendar. Seven, everybody say 7,000. A 7,000-year calendar. Now, 1 Thessalonians, every chapter deals with the coming of the Lord. But I want to look at chapter 5. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. 
and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Did you know that every time the Bible talks about Jesus coming as a thief in the night, he is referring that to unbelievers. People who do not know Jesus, when he comes, how many know that's going to be like a thief in the night? But, but he, makes a, he makes a contrast. He said to the unbelievers, he will come as a thief in the night, but Jesus isn't coming as a thief in the night to those who are in relationship, because if we believe the hour that we're in and we're really in relationship with Jesus, we ought to be looking for his return now, and it's not as a thief coming in the night. That's for those who don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you ought to be looking for him to split the eastern sky and come back and receive you unto himself. He's not coming back as a thief to us. We are to be looking for it, all right? We are to be watching for it. He says, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, but you are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. We ought to be prepared. Hit your neighbor upside the head and tell him, get ready. Get ready. God gave us prophecy so we would be prepared. So he's not coming as a thief in the night to those who are looking for him. Now, for those who are not that concerned about Jesus or their walk with God, how many are, they're not looking for him? So his return will be as a thief in the night. So let's talk now about the 7,000-year prophetic calendar of human history because he works on a 7,000-year calendar, and we're going we're gonna to show this to you. Now, the seven days of creation is the first thing I want to do is take, if God declares the end from the beginning and a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, and he does nothing unless he first reveals it, many believe you can look at Genesis chapter 1, the seven days of creation, and what you will see in the seven days of creation in Genesis chapter 1 parallels the seven 1,000-year span, spans, plural, 7,000 years, each, each 1,000, one millennium, that those seven days of creation parallels the seven millennium that we've been given by God. Now, I want to show this to you and break this down to you real slow. When we're talking about God declaring the end from the beginning, we need to first understand God counts in sevens. And just to not fly past that, God counts in sevens. There are seven days of creation on the seventh day, um, they always had a sabbatical on the seventh day. The seventh year was also a sabbatical year, which meant that you worked six years, but on the seventh year you rested, and not only did you rest, but you let the land rest, and God would give you double the harvest in year six to take care of you in year seven. I think we ought to go back to that. Like, we work six years, and then we all just vacation a year. Come on, somebody. I, I kind of like the Jewish system. Um, I mean, 35 years old, that means you've already had what? Five Sabbaths. Five years off. I'm going to get stuck right here. That's just sounding good. It says um, the, the Jews also had seven sevens of years, totaling 49, but on the 50th was a year of Jubilee. All the slaves set free, all the debts were forgiven. That's what the year of Jubilee w was all about. In Daniel, Daniel, that book is a, a, a lot of prophecy in the book of Daniel. 
And the Bible talks to us there about 490 prophetic years, the angel talked about. But if you look at 490, the angel also said, called it 70 times what? Seven. 70 times seven, totaling 490. So God counts in sevens. Um, Many Jewish scholars believe that, that God's calendar was revealed in the seven days of creation. In other words, at the very beginning, God was showing us there'll be 7,000 years of human history, all right? 6,000 years of, of you and I um, doing life the way we're doing it, but the Scripture talks about in the book of Revelation, 1,000 years, we'll get to that in a minute, 1,000 of those 7,000 years is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. How many of that is coming? It's really clear. We're going to get to that. So let's prove it. The first day of creation, the second day of creation, the third day of creation, all of those days parallel each of the seven millennium, according to God's calendar. Let's say it like this. Each day of creation is a prophetic grid of the 7,000 years of human history. Again, a day, a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. God reveals the end from the beginning. So let's look at the seven days of creation to help us see where we are. On the first day of creation, Genesis chapter 1, God created light, and and not only did he create light, he separated, he didn't create light, he separated light from the darkness. That's on day one of creation. Now what we have to ask is what is the most important or significant spiritual event that happened in the first 1,000 years that would parallel day number one of creation? It's real simple. Adam and Eve sinned, and once again, light and darkness were separated. Okay? Everybody following? Day number two, what did God do on the second day of creation? There was separation of the waters above and below. In the second 1,000-year span, the second millennium of history, the waters above and below were used in judgment in Noah's day, and God destroyed the earth with water. That's day two. Day three, what, did, what happened of creation? You, you can look at this. God cre- created plants and put seed in the plants to fill the earth with life. In the third millennium, the third 1,000-year span, God gave a promise to Abraham and told him, in you and in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Everybody following the parallel? In the fourth day of creation, the lights in heaven were created. In the fourth millennium, the fourth 1,000-year span, um, we saw prophets given to Israel as lights, but we also saw the greatest light, Jesus came, the light of the world. In the fifth day of creation, living creatures were made. In the fifth 1,000-year millennium, Jesus died so that you and I could be new creatures or new creation creations in Christ Jesus. On day six, which parallels the 1,000 years that we are in now, man was instructed by God to fill the earth and subdue it. In these last 1,000 years of human history, we have now done what God originally told Adam to do in the beginning. We have filled the world and subdued it. It has all happened in the last 1,000 years. Now, It's not a trick question. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. 
What are we going to do on the seventh day, the seventh millennium? We are going, the, the earth will rest because why? Jesus is going to rule and reign for 1,000 years on the earth. So all seven days of creation parallels the seven 1,000 years of history. Now, here's proof of that millennium. Some of y'all are like, I get everything up until that 1,000 years, the last one, like where we rule and reign with Jesus. Well, here it is, Revelation chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a 1,000 years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he shouldn't deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for 1,000 years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the 1,000 years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him 1,000 years. So we know for absolute certain that the last 1,000 years of human history the way we know it will be the millennial reign of Jesus Christ where we rule and reign with him. We are living pre-rapture. Everybody say pre-rapture. All right? The next great event that will take place will be the rapture of the church that will throw the world into a seven-year what? Tribulation. That's what we've been talking about for two weeks. That when the rapture takes place, there will be a seven-year tribulation according to Scripture. And you, you, you may ask, well, what are we doing during the seven years? Well, we are raptured, which means we are called up to meet Jesus in the air. But we are also experiencing, the Bible says, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So while the seven-year tribulation is going on on earth, you and I are at a wedding with Jesus and eating some fried chicken, somebody. Come on. I added the fried chicken. I didn't mean that. I don't know what we're eating, but it'll be good. At the end of that in Revelation 20 and 21, if you continue reading, um, Jesus returns after the seven-year tribulation to rule and reign. We come with him. He deals with the Antichrist. He deals with the false prophet. He binds Satan. It's very clear. He binds him for 1,000 years as he's ruling and reigning. And what I love about the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ is that for 1,000 years, Jesus is boss on the earth, and he doesn't have to be voted in or reelected. He's just king of kings and lord of lords, and everybody knows it. I'm about to get a preach on, I'm telling you. At the end of the 1,000 years, though, Satan is loosed. We just read it. So there's a 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. He's boss. But after a thousand years, the scripture says Satan is loosed and there are mortals on the earth at that time who survived the tribulation. Not a lot of people survive it, but there are some mortals who survive the tribulation and they go to Jerusalem being led by Satan to try to kill Jesus after he's been king on the earth for a thousand years. Now, obviously, that plan don't work. He takes care of all that. 
and the heavens and earth at that time, at the end of the 1,000-year rule and reign of Christ, the heavens and the earth, the Bible says very clearly, are destroyed by fire. Watch this, because a lot of people, the end times and all this, all you think about is like fat babies with wings and clouds. It's not it at all. The earth and the heavens are destroyed with fire, and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And watch this. This is the one we don't even think about. A new Jerusalem, which is a 12,000-mile cube that comes down from heaven, that comes down, this 12,000-mile cube, this new Jerusalem, and that's where we live with Jesus forever. The end. Now, how many know a lot of our teaching we get on the end times is completely way out there? And even our thought process on how God is going to do this. And so we can look at the seven days of creation. We can see a day, a thousand years, a thousand, thousand years as a day. That's one way to prove where we are. And when you look at this, it, 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 you can look at the calendars too, like our calendar. We use um, the Gregorian calendar, which tells us it is what year? I don't know. I don't know. What year is it, Pastor? I have no clue where I'm at. thought I was just going to float around. No, you're going to rule and reign with Jesus. There's a new city coming down. We're going to live with him in that new city. And, and so we, live, we operate with what you would call a solar calendar. Um, the Jews use a lunar calendar. It's 2018. Obviously, that is A.D., after Jesus, after his death. And, and the question is, well, what, you know, where are we really? Well, thankfully, in Luke chapter 3, the genealogy is given from Jesus all the way back to Adam. And so it's pretty concrete that the Old Testament up to Jesus was 4,000 years. From Jesus to now is 2,000 years. So now we've got to do some really difficult math. 4 plus 2 Six, 6,000 years. And we know that the last 1,000 years is what? The millennial reign of Christ, totaling 7,000 years. You can look at the Jewish civil calendar. The Jews actually have two calendars. They have a civil and they have a religious calendar. According to the civil calendar, this is the year 5,000, because they don't do like B.C. and A.D. They count from Adam to now. 5,778 is the year that we're in, according to their calendar. Now, there's dispute over how exact that. It could be off a few years here or there. It's not off like 100 years, but it, it could be off a few years to, to the left or to the right of that. But when you look at the civil calendar, it's 5778. And if you look at the religious calendar, they believe we just passed 6,000 years in 2015. And so... We have to take a step back and realize if God is using a 7,000-year calendar, and there was 4,000 years up till Jesus at approximately 2,000 now, and there's got to be a 1,000-year millennial reign. The, the other thing, let me throw this out here. You need to get it. We don't set dates. I'm going to say that again. We don't set dates. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, but we can know the times and the seasons. 
So you say, well, where are we, Pastor? Well, I don't know. You can look at any of the three calendars. You can look at the seven days of creation. I don't know exactly where we are, but I do know we are real close to 6,000 years being fulfilled and the return of Christ happening and a 1,000-year millennial reign being set up where we rule and reign with Jesus. Hit your neighbor again and say, you need to be ready. I don't know exactly where we are, but I do know we are in the times and we are in the seasons. Let's look at a couple more prophetic pictures of this in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 17, all throughout Scripture, the return of Christ is compared to the days of Noah, right? Here's what Jesus said, Luke 17, starting verse 26. And so it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So here's another parallel that we can see. Noah lived to be 950 years old. Everybody say, that's old. 950, that's old. You think you're old. 950 years, that's a long time. The Bible tells us that, and I think it's Genesis chapter 9. Yeah, 9 verse 29. Jesus said that his return would look a lot like the days of Noah. Noah was 950 years when he died. What, how old was Noah when God put him on the ark? Well, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 7 verse 6 that Noah was 600 years old. Now, how many know that if you live to be 950 years and God has a plan to put you on a boat to rescue you and your family, how many, God had a lot of years to choose from. He could have picked 212. Why did I say that? That's 212 or something. Something boil at that? I don't know. 420, you know, whatever the, you know, the number is. But he didn't choose any of those numbers. He chose to put him on the boat at the age of 600. I believe that is also a connection of 6,000 years and then the door is shut. Just as the ark was shut. The Bible doesn't say Noah shut the door. The Bible says God shut the door. Amen? Y'all with me? I want to do one more thing, and then I'm going to end. Y'all need to be really happy because I preached until y'all were walking in earlier. So I, I have definitely sped it up. The last thing I want to give you is the wedding at Cana of Galilee, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When you look at that wedding, the, the, the Cana of Galilee wedding in John chapter 2, the Bible says some very specific things in that text. Now, I want to say again, God declares the end from the beginning, okay? Really cool, though. When Jesus was 13, they, his, his mom, Mary and Joseph left him in the temple, and two days later realized they left Jesus. Now, how many know that's really bad? You think you had a rough week. I mean, they left the Son of God and had to go back. And so they go into the temple, and Mary frantically finds him and like, what are you doing? And he said, I'm about my father's business. And she said, no, you're not. Get your butt in the car. You're going home. And she took him home for 17 more years. She, she told him, no, your ministry is not starting at 13. It's not time. But at age 30, Jesus and his disciples are at 
a wedding, okay? They're at a wedding. And the scripture says that the wedding party ran out of wine. And Mary says, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. Jesus responds, what do I have to do with you? Now, I find it really interesting that at age 13, God used Mary, his mom, to say, no, it's not time for ministry. And at age 30, Jesus is not even thinking about ministry, and God uses Mary to tell Jesus it's time for ministry. And so when, when she says they've run out of wine, he said, what do, you, what do I have to do with you? She doesn't even say anything again to him. She just looks at the servants and says, do what he says. I've seen him make groceries before. He's about to turn the water into wine. And here's what the scripture says. Watch this. This is so cool. John chapter 2. Couple things in. I want to make sure I hit it. I don't want you to miss this. In scripture, there are miracles, there are wonders, and there are signs. Miracles, supernatural work of God that cannot be explained. That's a miracle. A wonder is when God does something that makes you wonder. All right, you're with me. Uh, a sign is not the same as a miracle. And it's not the same as a wonder. A sign always points to something else. Now, with that knowledge, get this. Here's what it says in John chapter 2. Worship team, if y'all will come back, that would be awesome. It says in verse 6, we'll pick up after he said, whatever he says to do, do it. It says, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made into wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good stuff. And when the guests have well drunk, then the not-so-good stuff or the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. I'm going to stop and just remind you, God declares the end from the beginning. The, this beginning of miracles, this beginning of wonder, this beginning of signs. In other words, the beginning of Jesus' ministry was pointing to the end. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. God declares the end from the beginning. They run out of wine. He turns the water into wine. And then the scripture is very clear. This beginning of his ministry was a sign. Six water pots. Everybody say six water pots. Could it be the six water pots or a picture of the 6,000 years? Could it be? Just for a moment. Just indulge me for a moment. Everybody say six water pots again. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what is he doing? He is at a wedding serving heaven's wine. What is Jesus doing at the end of his ministry when he raptures you and I to go home with him? He is at a wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb, serving us heaven's wine. Come on, somebody. You got to catch it. You got to grab it. Matthew 26, 29. And here's, here's how I know that this is powerful. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 26. He said, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. I'm, I'm not going to drink wine again 
from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus said, I'm not going to partake of wine again until I have raptured you home with me and we're having that seven-year wedding in heaven and then I'm going to share and drink with you. How many are thankful that Jesus is going to come back again? Come on, anybody ready to party with Jesus for eternity? Come on, to rule and to reign with Jesus for 1,000 years. Paul said, encourage one another with these words. Encourage. The end times is not meant to be, scare, to be scary or to cause fear. So Peter tells him, he says, this day should not overtake you as a thief in the night. You, you brethren, you beloved, you know. You know Jesus. You're in relationship with him. And you also know that a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, and God is not slow concerning his promises. God knows when he's coming back, and that day should not catch us unaware. Are you looking for the return of Jesus today? Come on, if you're looking for the return of Jesus, give him one more praise for his word. Come on, give him a praise for his return today. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. I want to speak to those that are in this room and you're not in relationship with Jesus. You're not saved or maybe you were at one time and for whatever reason you've drifted and you need his grace and his forgiveness. You, need, you just need to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life again. If that's you today, I, I don't want to prolong the moment, but if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. Thanks for this hand and this hand, this hand, these two back there. God bless you. Another one back here. God bless you. Anyone over here? You'd say, that's me. Another one here. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty today. Anyone else before we pray? Say, that's me. Another one here. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. So many hands going up, ready to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I want every voice to be lifted, and let's pray with all these hands that have gone up. Everybody just repeat these words. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I'm asking you today to forgive me, to come into my heart, help me to turn away from sin, and to give my life fully to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and, and forgiving me and making me new. Amen. Come on, somebody. Give, him, give God praise for those people today. Amen. That's what it's all about. If you prayed that prayer and you made Jesus the Lord of your life, there's a connect card and a seat back in front of you. If you would take a moment during this last worship song, just fill it out and say, hey, I got saved today. Let us know who you are. We would love to connect with you and help you take your next step. At this time, though, we're going to ask the prayer team and staff to come forward. We're going to do one more song. If you need prayer, please come and receive prayer. Before we do that, can we give Jesus a standing ovation today? Come on, let's give him a praise. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.